Well, as Penny said, we're going to start a new series uh, today, and let me go ahead and pray and ask that God would give me the ability to sort of set the scene and lay a foundation for what we'll be talking about over the next number of months. So let's pray. Father, I just come to you right now, and Lord, I ask that you would just give grace today, grace to me as I speak, to, to draw on those things that you've written on my heart for us today to, to consider. Lord, I ask grace for each person who is here present today, Lord, that they would hear not my thoughts, but that you would allow them to be uh, touched by those things that you are speaking to their hearts and my, minds. Lord, allow me to have clarity of speech and thought. We just want to, to see and hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the new series, we're calling the new series Healthy Church. And we're going to be taking, as I said, probably the next two or three months, talking and defining what a healthy church is like. But I, I want to be clear as we begin that when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about Vineyard Church of Delaware County. This isn't going to be a, a talk primarily focusing on this church and what either makes us healthier, what would make us healthier, although there'll be application along the way. When I talk about church, I'm referring to a, a, a biblical term it's coming from the Greek word ekklesia. And what ekklesia, what this word means in the Greek that has been used now for centuries referring to God's church, to the people of God, it literally means the assembled ones, the called out ones. So to be sure, the, the, the concept of church in the scriptures isn't talking about a building. It's, it's talking about the family of God. When the scriptures are is talking about the church, it's talking about God's people who have been called out. Maybe more precisely, it's talking about the people of God who have heard that invitation as the whole world has heard the invitation of God to, to come and walk with him. And those who have responded, those who have said, I want to be part of that extended family of God. That's why we call one another brothers and sisters. We are, we are the family of God. Luke, in, in uh, his gospel, he uses the word the household of faith. It's interesting, the word translated household is the Greek word therapeos, which is the, the word that we get the English word therapy from. In other words, one of the things, and this could be a sermon of its own, but I, I won't digress. The, the, the concept is that the, the household of God, the church of God, is to be a, a therapeutic community, a, a place where healing and wholeness and growth, where health can, can come. That's the biblical understanding of, of church. The scriptures talk a lot about the body of Christ, that the church is the collective family of God who've come together, who want to, to be the, the body of Christ here on earth, that we reflect who Christ is, we speak his words, we do what, what the Father's doing, that people can see in, uh, in, in the heart of God, what he wants is that the people can, people can see something of who Christ is by looking at the church. 
So when we say the church, we're not talking about a building, but nor can I say, for instance, that I am the church. I mean, it's true the church is the people, or is it the church are the people? The people collectively are the church, but I can't say I am the church because the very nature of the church speaks to a collection, a gathering of people. I am, I am part of the church. I am a member of the church. But I am not the church. By definition, the church is the collection of people. The church, in ha- the church has, has transcended time. In other words, the church has existed for 2,000 years. So when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about just what, what we see and what exists today around the world. It's also, it's, it's tr- transcended, obviously, geography, and we need to be mindful when we talk about the church. Not only are we not just needing to think about and conceive, can perceive in our minds and, uh, the, the local church here, or Vineyard Church of Delaware County, but when we talk about the church and what God desires to do in the church today, we're talking about the church that is existing around the world. Last week, we had a just wonderful testimony from Common Jen about the church that's, that's being planted in, in a, a radical Muslim country. God is at work throughout the world, transcending geography, so we need to understand that. So there's a sense in which the church has a, a, a universal nature. But there's also, importantly, a, the church as it's expressed in its local context. That God desires that the church not just be a concept of all of my people everywhere, but the church is to be expressed in practical ways locally. The church is to have local expressions in cities, in villages, in towns. You look through the Gospels. We recently went through the Gospel of Second, or the Gospel, the letter to the Second Corinthian Church that Paul wrote. You look at Paul's letters, and he's constantly addressing the church as it's being expressed, whether it's in Corinth, or whether it's in Thessalonica, or, or the church in Rome, and even the church in Rome, large city, Paul was talking about the church that met in this individual's home, and the church that met over here. The church is to have a local expression. But to be clear, the church are those people that are collectively walking together and following Christ. They're following his king. The church is the the local expression and the universal expression of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is far more than the church because God's doing things beyond what's happening here on earth. But the church is that earthly expression of Christ and his presence here. So over the next couple of months, we're going to examine what makes a healthy church whether we're talking about it universally, whether we're talking about it in in its local expression, or whether we're talking about what makes a healthy church as we give ourselves to those purposes and those plans that God has for us, we want to examine how God's family can be healthy, can remain healthy, 
So we're going to be talking and taking on topics like the church that, that serves, the church that gives, the church that invites, the church that worships, the church that prays, the church that is making disciples, the church that is, is practicing God's presence, that's walking in his presence. And today, this morning, I want to take the topic of the church that gathers. And this is more of a local expression, uh, looking at the, the, the geographical area. But part of the intention of God, as I said, is that the church gathers together. Again, it's not just some spiritual, theological concept that we are all the people of God. But in order for the church to be healthy, in order for the church to be who Christ has called us to be as his family, there needs to be, in a variety of contexts, the gathering of the church. And I, I, I want to say up front, I'm not just talking about Saturday night or Sunday morning gatherings. I'm, I'm including the gathering of the church in homes, small groups. I'm talking about the, the gathering of the church, you know, around the, uh, in Kroger's when you cross paths with other people that you know, other followers of Christ, and, and you have fellowship around the uh, Macintosh apples. I'm talking about the church as it's being expressed in, in neighborhoods. I'm talking about the church as it, as it connects uh, on the phone during the week, encouraging one another. I'm talking about the church as it's engaging in, in various ministries, touching the world, coming together. So the church, in order to be healthy, has to have times where it's gathering, where it's coming together so that it can fulfill those, those divine, divinely set purposes that God has for us. This is so important, so central. In fact, the, the writer of Hebrews addresses this. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, the writer of Hebrews says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another to, on towards love and good deeds, not giving up the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. As, as, as the world becomes more and more difficult, as there's more and more opposition in the world, the writer of Hebrews says it's even more important for understand, to understand how very important it is for us to, to have practical ways in which we're expressing who we are as individuals as we can be woven together with the body of Christ. That the gathering together is essential in the church being healthy and, and we being healthy ourselves. So why is it so important? Why is it so important for the church to, ha to have practical ways in which we are, are coming together? Well, the, the church exists for three main reasons that I'm going to talk about, among other things today. And the, the very existence of the church, in order to accomplish those reasons, it demands 
that we come together. And, and that will become more and more clear as we, we move along this morning. See, the first reason, the first purpose that the Lord has for the church that demands that there be opportunities for us to come together with, with other Christians, be it on a Sunday morning or in a small group or in, uh, just, again, haphazardly in our neighborhoods, uh, during the week with our, with our friends, it demands that your church gathers together because one of the reasons that the church exists is for the edification of each other. The word edification means to build up. We talk about an, an edif edifice. edifice. We talk about an edifice as a, as a large building. The word edification is, is a, another form of that word. And the, the concept is, we, as we come together in a variety of ways, we build up one another. We build up our culture. We build up the local expression of the church. Edification speaks to the, the strengthening, the encouraging, the making strong, making solid. Paul's letter speaks a lot about how the church can build one another up, how the church as it gathers can edify, can strengthen one another. In the letter to the Corinthian church, Paul's first letter, particularly in chapters 12 and 13 and 14, Paul speaks about how God uses the individual members of his church to build one another up. One of your callings as a, a, as a member of God's church, not just speaking about VCDC, but one of your callings as a member of God's church and a member of VCDC is to recognize how you can build each other up, how you can strengthen, support, make more solid one another. And for that reason, in those chapters and in, in, in most of Paul's letters, he speaks about the different ways that he, God has chosen to design us. Penny announced this morning the, the shape class. And, and that's, one of the, the fo that's one of the focuses, foci? <laughs> I'm having problems with English today. Of, of uh, the shape class is to help us to recognize how God designed us, how he has given us certain understandings. He's given us life experiences, both good and, and difficult, in order to help us be useful to him to build one another up. God's given us natural gifts and abilities and ta talents. God's given us supernatural gifts and abilities, all for the edification of one another. There are a variety of gifts and a variety of abilities, a variety of experience within God's family that God gives to individuals so that we can build up one another. Listen, listen to what he says, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I'll skip around a little bit here. In verse 7 it says, Now to each one the manifestation of his spirit, uh, to each one, I'm sorry, to each one the manifestation of God's spirit is given for the common good. God has given you gifts, abilities, talents, not just for yourself, 
but for the common good. If, if you are gifted in worship, it's not simply so you can stand in front of a mirror and just sing your heart out and say, I just love my voice. If God has gifted you to, to worship, to lead worship, it's for the edification of others. If God has gifted you to communicate truth as a, as a teacher, it's, it's not so that you can teach yourself, it's so that you can edify one another. If God has given you the gift of serving, it's not so you can serve yourself. If God has gifted you in, in evangelism or outreach, it's not just so you can continually repeat to yourself what the gospel is that you've responded to. It's for the edification of others. And that's true for virtually every gift. The gifts are given the way that God designed us, the manifestations of the Spirit are given for the common good. It goes on to say, let's skip down to verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if, if the foot uh, should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God has placed the parts, talking about us, He's placed us as parts of this body of Christ. He has placed us into the body, every one of them. And in the original Greek, what that means is every one of them. Now, there's, there's not one of you who have made a decision to follow Christ that he specifically, God specifically, didn't design and shape give gifts to, and place in the body exactly where he wanted them to be. And you may think that, well, my gifts, my talents, my experiences, my abilities aren't useful, they're not valuable, they're not significant. But God says that's not so. That's not so. That the, the eye can't say, hey, I'm not a hand, so I'm, I'm not valuable. I'm not a foot, so I don't have any real purpose or use. Every part of the body is valuable, and God has designed you so that when you are missing, when you are sitting on the bench or benched yourself, when you've taken yourself out of the game, there's a loss to the body of Christ. He goes on to say, verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Not only can we not disqualify our own value and say, I don't have real use or value, but we can't look at anyone else in the church, in the body of Christ, and say, they're not really necessary. 
They're just an add-on. They're just, they're, they're just excess. They, they just, they're just fill out the, 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 the body, but not really important. Every part of the body is placed right where Jesus wants and have value. It's like building a house. For it to be strong, for it to be solid, for it to be stable, for a home to be useful to the master who's going to dwell in it, it will involve many, many different individuals in its construction. When you build a house, you need carpenters, but you also need architects, you need engineers, you need roofers, you need electricians, you need plumbers, you need painters. And only as all these different individuals come together are you able to have a good, useful, solid, valuable house that is going to be useful and valuable to the master of that house who dwells in it. And it follows then, if the church doesn't gather together, if the church doesn't come together, that we will lose the opportunity to build up one another, to build up what God is trying to create. And our absence, maybe not absence in body, but absence in, in the giving of ourselves, will mean loss for what God is trying to create. So gathering is essential. Whether we're talking about gathering on a weekend like today, whether we're talking about gathering in small groups, gathering spontaneously, gathering in, in, in our neighborhoods, just getting involved and connecting with others, it's essential if we are going to fulfill our purposes to edify one another. Now the church gathers together so that its members, it can bring their gifts and their abilities, their personalities, their temperaments, their perspectives together for the common good in order to be the body of Christ. And for that reason, when, when you look around at the church, it, it's, it's a phenomenally fascinating thing to, to see how God has, even in this local expression of the church, how God has taken individuals with a variety of, of abilities and a willingness to, to serve, to edify others. It's a phenomenal thing to see how God weaves it together. You know, I was standing in the back earlier as we were worshiping, just thinking about this concept, just looking around and seeing who God has given to this church. And, and I, could, I could go around and, and talk about so many, maybe every single one of you, of what it is that I see that God can contribute. You know, Jim and Wanda Turner over here. Wave, Jim and Wanda. Jim and Wanda oversee our, our food pantry. And together with probably dozens and dozens of others who are here today, the first and third Monday nights, the food pantry is able to edify the community Edify one another through serving together. Edify this, this, this uh, uh, Delaware County by coming together, bringing their, their abilities, and edifying so many others. 
The, uh, I look at here in the front row, as, as usual, the Padilla family. You know, once you guys wave, Sherry, your sons, these, Sherry and her, her th three sons are constantly, as the church comes together, sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes not behind the scenes, they're constantly serving, you know, you know, setting up chairs, taking down chairs, helping to organize things in the background, you know, organizing things out front when, uh, on the weekend services, serving in so many different ways. And it's not because you guys lived to tear down chairs, is it? But it's a willingness to say, this is something that I have the ability to do. And we give ourselves to edify, to build up the greater body, to help the body be who the body is supposed to, the body of Christ, that is, the church to be what the church is supposed to be, by giving of ourselves. You know, right behind, I, I look at Helen Stone. Helen, you wave. Helen, if you haven't been hugged by Helen, you are missing out. Helen is our hugger-in-chief, and, and she is just wonderful. She greets folks on, on, on Sunday mornings, and when you come in and your eyes meet, meet Helen's, and she comes up and she gives you that hug, you know you've been hugged, and more importantly, you experience something of the love of Christ. And it's what, what God has given Helen, among various other things, that she has given herself, as the church gathers in, a, in this context, to, to make things happen. You know, Deb Crane, who leads our, our grief share group, takes what has been her, her experience and said, but I want to serve God and serve the body and edify others with what I'm able to do. I think about Dave Martin. Dave, won't you wave back there? Dave Martin is sort of the, the ambassador of goodwill from VCDC, especially around Christmas time. I don't know how many different groups and classes and, and nursing homes and parades and, and whatnot that Dave has gone to, whether he's dressed up as, as St. Nicholas or, or, or just expressing God's grace and, and, and the twinkle in his eye, he has just allowed who he is and what God has put into him to edify others. That's what it looks like. You know, uh, where's Maxine? Is Maxine in here? Raise your hand, Maxine. She stepped. Well, you can tell her what I'm about to say. Maxine comes in. She comes into the church weekly and, and helps out in the office and just folds some of the bulletins and sorts things out. And just a tremendous help behind the scenes. But this is what she says I'm able to do. It's not as if she has the gift of folding bulletins, but it's saying I want to be used to edify others and to edify the church. Mike Hush coming on Monday nights with the medical clinic for how many years now? And just taking his abilities and, and saying, I want to edify others by, by serving like so many others of you in the, in the church and, and helping out at the medical clinic or the food pantry. 
you know, Mark. You know, I could, Mark, do you ever see the garden that we have in the spring, summer, and fall in the backyard? Mark has sort of, that was his brainchild. That's something that he was able to do. And he came to, to uh, Michael uh, and said, I really would like to see us have a community garden and a church garden so that we can produce uh, vegetables and whatnot for the food pantry and, and for others who have need. Again, taking his ability and saying, I want to be used for the building up, for the encouragement of others. And, and, and I mean, I could go around, I'm, I'm missing far, far more than I've mentioned, but I can go around, Sherry coming in each week and helping out sorting through and inventorying what's, what's in the kitchen and making sure that, that we have what we need in, in the kitchen each week. I, I mean, I can go around and say, here is how God has used people week after week, sometimes in the context of, of what goes on on Sunday morning, sometimes at other times. Those of you who are here who are leading small groups, those of you who are here who are hosting small groups, it's, that's how the body works. We say, Lord, here I am. I want to be used for the edification of others, for the building up, the strengthening of others. And every one of us are necessary and we all have our specific orientations and talents and for some it's I'm I enjoy teaching and others I enjoy worship and others on who are mercy extenders and others who have strong passion for for justice social justice and others prophetic the prophetic and others it's counseling and others it might be evangelism but as a church all are important aren't they because if we, if we prioritize some of those over others, if we say, well, worship is more important than, than social justice, or social justice is, is more important than counseling, or, or counseling is more important than evangelism, and, and marginalize one aspect of what the body is to be, not only do we rob individuals of bringing to the forefront their specific gifts and abilities, but we rob the, the community and one another of seeing the fullness of Christ. So edification is one of the reasons the church exists, and it necessitates the coming together so we can edify one another. The second purpose I want to talk about is, is sanctification. Sanctification is that process where Christ works from the inside out, from the inside out, helping us to be more and more like him. It's that process of change where we are being made Christ-like. Sanctification is the, is the Greek word uh, hagiazo, and it speaks about being made holy, being made like Christ. Now, how does God make us holy? How, how does God change you and transform you and take that, that raw lump of clay that he's created and begin to, to shape us? to look like Jesus. Well, I, I, the reality is how God does that primarily is through one another. And how God primarily does that through one another 
and I hate to say this out loud because I'm afraid God will hear me say it and, and, and he'll know that I, I see what he's up to. He does it by putting us in proximity with people who are very different than us. You see, when I'm with my good friends, with people who are, who are, who are like me, you know, we just sort of walk in lockstep and you know, it's very comfortable. When I'm with people who are very different than me in their personality, in their temperament, in their orientation, in, in, in their experience, that's where the rubbing takes place. That's how God changes us. At least that's a primary way in which, and uh, how God changes us. In Proverbs chapter 27, it says, iron sharpens iron, and so one man, one woman, sharpens another. Our rough edges knock the rough edges off of others, and vice versa. Those people that you think are really odd and peculiar and, and difficult to be around, the Lord says, all right, that's going to knock some things off of your life. That's going to teach you patience. That's going to teach you grace. Their, their temperament or their perspective on life, their passions are going to rub against and, and wear off on you. The, the church, I mean, look around. The church is full of strange and wonderful people. And, and generally, we think, well, yeah, I'm wonderful. And it's the other people, they're, they're strange. But God has placed us in the body just as he desires so that we will rub against those who are different than us. Not just having diff different because they're odd, but different also because their passion and their perspectives and their burdens are different. And God loves doing that. God uses those who rub against us to make us more like Jesus. And, and we can... We can run from that. We could say, you know, I don't like church because there are strange people there. I don't like hanging out with, 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 the, with Christians because there are people that, are, that just are so weird. I don't want to be part of a small group because not everybody in the small group is comfortable and has the same, you know, focus and passions in their life. You know, there are people who, you know, they just, all they want to do is worship. And I just so tired of that. I, you know, we need to get together to, to, to pray, or we need to, we need to study the Bible more, or we need to just have, you know, have fun and fellowship together. And that's the whole point. As the church gathers together, people with different desires who are wired differently get to rub off on each other. And we are sanctified. We are being made more and more like Jesus. I mean, the funny thing is this, that the person that you consider a, a difficult person, we all have those, you know, extra grace required, you know, they're, they're just harder to, to, to be around. The people that you think are the, the difficult people probably think you're their difficult person because you're different in your background 
orientations and, and passions than they are. You know, they really are into this, and you're really into that, and you don't understand what, they're, what they love so much, and they don't understand why you like what you like so much. But God says, oh, this is wonderful. I'm going to gather them together so they can affect one another. The, the truth of the matter is that, that the next time you see that difficult person, that extra grace required person, what you ought to do is you ought to run up to them, give them a great big hug, give them a big wet kiss on their forehead and say, you have no idea how much God has used you in my life. Because that's the truth. That's the truth. God has used the people who are different than you to make you more like Jesus, to stretch you, to influence you and to let you learn how to grow in Christ. So the purpose of the church that necessitates the gathering together is the edification of others, the, the, the sanctification of ourselves, the, the change and transformation of ourselves. The third reason for the church is the glorification of God. To glorify means to provide evidence for some, something of who God is. When we glorify God, we're, we're just bringing forth evidence, proof of his goodness, kindness, his mercy, his, his trustworthiness. When someone says glory to God, what they're saying is there is something that gives evidence of how great my God is. If we say let's glorify God together, what we're saying, let's come together and give evidence of who God is. So the coming together of the church allows God to be glorified in many different ways. Listen to what, what uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He's speaking to the church. He says to you, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It, no, it's, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your love and good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When the church gathers in any of the various ways that it can gather, when the church comes together, be it in neighborhoods, through in ministry times, in weekend services, or, or wherever, it glorifies the Father because people can see something of our Father in heaven as we live our lives out together. They see, hopefully, something of God's grace, of God's creativity, of God's mercy, of God's justice, of God's wisdom, of his sense of humor. As people look and say, my gosh, what an odd bunch of people. But look at how God is using them to love one another, to love the community, and God is sitting there on his throne, just 
just like a, a, like a papa looking at his children, saying, oh, isn't this great? Yeah, I, I see all their foibles, but isn't it wonderful how they're coming together and there's something of a reflection of me as they, as they love each other and love those around them. Whether they see God's good works through the church, or maybe they just simply look at the church and all, in all of its uh, variety, with all of the different temperaments and backgrounds, and say, there's a place that I can belong to. There's a place that I can be accepted. I mean, if they accept that person, <laughs> I'm a shoe in The church glorifies the Father. And that's one of the reasons why I, I love the fact that the church, that this church, has such uh, a diversity. There are those who are highly educated, and there are those who have been educated just through hard knocks and through life, all coming together. There, there are those who are uh, young and those who are old. We're, we're multi-ethnic, we're multi-generational. There are those who, who love bling, and there are those who love black. And there's a place for everyone. And we could see each other and see the differences and learn how this is a reflection of God. And God looks down and says, isn't that great? How that, that grandfather and, and that teenager are, are coming together and serving together. How, how these two people from such diverse backgrounds both can love one another and love me together. It glorifies God. And, and do you want to know what one of the primary roles as a pastor that I, I believe God has given me, given any pastor, is to ensure that there is room for that kind of, of diversity and for all the diversity of, of passions and interests and and giftings in the body, that we don't marginalize one gift for the, for the exaltation of another. To help all of us who may fall on one end or the other end of, of a particular continuum to appreciate the differences of those on the other end. So as a pastor, you know, inevitably, inevitably there'll be people that will come to me and say, you know, we, we need to have more worship. I mean, 20, 25 minutes is just not cutting it. You know, just why do you even have to have a sermon? We've heard it all. Let's just worship. And I agree. We need more worship. And then there are others come to me and say, you know, we just, we're just needing to dig heavily into the, the scriptures. You know, we're just not going deep enough. We need far more Bible study. What's all this singing stuff? Let's just study the Bible more. And there are others who are saying, we just need more fellowship. We need to just hang out more and have more parties. And, and there are others who are saying, we need more outreach and evangelism. Or we need to be in social. And you know what? They are all correct. And 
one of my roles as a pastor is to help us to make room for all that diversity. To help us to ensure that we don't keep what is most pleasant, keep what is most comfortable, keep what is most consistent with how we're wired and begin to marginalize and exclude what isn't as, as appealing or as comfortable. So that those who love to see the power of God and love ministry time also can appreciate teaching. And those who, who love teaching can, can also appreciate the outreach and, and that we have on, on a Monday night and that we don't become a church that is, is single in its focus, but that we continue as we gather in all of the different forms and ways that we continue to have a church that reflects the, the, the multitude of different characteristics of our Father in heaven. And it's only as we gather together in, its, in the various contexts do we get to glorify God and people see the great diversity of who God is. And it's only as we gather together that we get to rub against each other and get to appreciate what maybe is not part of our particular wiring and, and, and thought processes and, and ministry desires and passions. And it's only as we gather together do we, are we able to edify one another by taking our gifts and, and serving others. So why is it that the writer of Hebrews said, be careful not to, to forsake the gathering together. Why would people forsake gathering together? There, there are hundreds of different reasons why, why people wouldn't gather together, whether you're talking about being part of, a, of the, the, the worship celebration and teaching on a, at a weekend service or small groups or uh, in any other fashion. But I want to talk about what I see as the top three reasons when I've talked to people and I see people who, who drift from the church, maybe not entirely, but where, where the church becomes less and less significant, a significant part of their life and of their schedule and of, of who they see, who they are. What are some of the, the, the main reasons? The first reason, without a doubt, especially in our culture, is distractions. We get distracted because of all the other opportunities, all the other needs, all the other things that are calling for our time, that are calling for our commitment, that's calling for our involvement, that's calling for our attention. Our lives become so full, apart from Christ, that he gets pushed out. And I guarantee there's few people of any in this room today who don't understand what I'm talking about. Where the demands of work, the demands of family, the, the, the demands of, of just health and, and rest don't play a tug of war with, with each other. And they're all important. Family is essential and important to give time to that. Your work is important to, to be a good worker. 
to be able to provide for yourself. It's important to have rest and relaxation. It's important all, to be involved in all the different things that can distract us. What's important, though, is that we make sure that we don't allow Christ and his purposes for us to edify, to be sanctified, to glorify him, to be pushed out of the equation. So the demands of, of, of life can distract us from those priorities that God has for us. Those of you who are parents understand, especially in our culture today, how distracting just trying to, to parent our children can be. And some of it is because our, uh, our culture doesn't cooperate with the church. In the years past, not only were, were stores closed on Sundays, but you, a school would never uh, think of having a, an activity on a Sunday. Now, every day is being chewed up and raising our children in the busyness of life is, is a challenge. And, and I want to just take a, a second here, speaking, speaking to parents, that what happens frequently is that we, you know, we come home from a, a, a long week and the grass is long and, and we haven't used the boat in weeks and we are tired and we have things to do around the house and, and we say, well, let's, let's just forego church this week. And it's not as if, you know, I keep attendance. It's not as if you're not at church and you're, you're bad. But here's what I want you to consider as parents. If, if you go to church, let's say, a couple, three times a month, and you see that as, well, that's commitment with all the other things I'm juggling, you can assume that your children, when they're older and out of the house, will go to church maybe once a month. And you can assume that your grandchildren won't at all. We need to consider what are we sowing in by way of example of the importance of gathering together, edifying, being sanctified, and glorifying God. Another reason why we end up foregoing the gathering together is just the consumeristic attitude. You know, I, I, I just don't get anything out of it. You know, I, I've heard these teachings before. I've heard what, you know, what the scriptures say about the church. Well, if you've been a Christian for a dozen years, if you've been a Christian for 20 years, if you've been Christian for a while, I would assume that you've heard most anything that I'm going to talk about or any other pastor is going to talk about. If you've read the scriptures, you've heard it before. But there's a couple of thoughts. One, is it, is it in you? Is it, has it gripped you? Are you doing it? But more importantly, is gathering together, and I'm speaking now as for the Sunday services, is gathering together for what you get out of it, or perhaps the Lord is saying, no, I, I want you to go because I'm going to use you in encouraging another person before church, in praying for a person up front, in maybe the Lord giving you a, a word, a, a picture, a vision to be shared with others. 
to serve another person, just to smile at another person, to greet a guest, to reach out to a, a, a member who's hurting. That we don't gather together just because of what, what it does for me any more than people in, in a family just eat dinner together because they so enjoy interacting with, with the other people around the table. But we do it because it's healthy. And we do it because we want to give, not just think of life in God's family as what I get. And then finally, oftentimes we end up forsaking the gathering together just because of unresolved conflict. We've been hurt by the church, we've been hurt by Christians, and therefore we just back off. I'm just getting tired of it. I don't want to be in a small group anymore. I don't want to hang around with Christians. I don't want to go to church because they've hurt me. And folks, I take that seriously. I'm not belittling that. It's no small thing when you're offended by something or someone who you've trusted and you've looked to to be an encourager. But if that's the case, if you've been offended, if you've been hurt, then let us help you process that offense so you can move on and be who Christ has called you to be. I'm going to stop there. Let's go ahead and stand up. God wants us to be his church. And, and as I was praying about this, I, you know, and how we would end today, one of the things the Lord spoke to me is he said, Danny, there's an underlying fourth reason why people forsake the gathering together and being church. And it's because of loss of intimacy with him, loss of connection with him, that it's just become an institution. But we've lost sight of our of our Father in heaven, who says, come, gather around me. And if we lose sight of him, if we lose intimacy, we lose the, the foundation of who we are as individuals and the foundation of who we are together. And, and there are those here today who feel because of life, because of difficulties in life, because of pain, because of loss, or just because of of the, the wear and tear of living in this world, you've lost that sense of your closeness with Jesus. And I believe God wants to restore that today. I believe there are people here today also who need a touch from him for physical healing, for spiritual healing, for emotional healing, that you just need God to touch you. And I believe the Father is here today saying, you're my children, individually and together. And he's calling for his children who need that touch, who need that re-envisioning, who just need to sense that refreshment that we get only from him. He's calling for those people who need something from him today to just come and, and get some prayer. So we're going to uh, finish up with a worship a bit. And I, I'm going to encourage you, if you need something from the Father, physically, emotionally, spiritually, or otherwise, come forward and let's make sure that everyone that comes up has someone praying for them. Yeah, I, uh, you can turn me, okay. I felt like back, I was standing at the back, and I felt like the Lord just spoke to me and said, there's people that have been sidelined by the cares of life. Just situations have happened that have sidelined you. And the Lord is stirring you, and he's saying, I want you back in the game. And I just felt real strong that God said, get prayer about that today. That's good. That's good. Why don't you come on forward and let's go ahead and pray for one another. Let's worship. Oh, heal me 
down. Father, we just come to you right now. In Jesus' name, we, we say, here we are. Weave us into your body just as you desire. Father, come. Help us to, to see you. To experience that connection to you. And, and Lord, through that, come to have a, a deeper understanding of who we are as part of your, your family. Father, we just ask that you release a, a renewed vision for those gifts and those abilities you've given us. Lord, give us a new vision for being the church as opposed to just going to church. Father, come. Come and show your great love Show your affection. Walk us into those contexts and situations where we can edify one another, where we can grow and, and continue the process of sanctification and become more and more like you. Father, allow us to glorify you as you use us according to your good plans. Father, we take even those difficult situations in our lives, those losses, those, those patterns of sin that had gripped us and, and may still grip us. We say, Lord, here I am, such as I am. Use me, transform me. In Jesus' name, amen.